Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of the Book Riot podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter B-R-3 at checkout. As a bonus, sign up now and you'll get five free audiobooks delivered to you on Bookstore Day, a one-day national party that takes place at bookstores across the country on Saturday, April 27th. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Again, that's Libro.fm and enter code BR3 the number three, to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. Thanks again to Libro FM. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 308. We're recording on Thursday, April 18th, 2019. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hope you got your taxes done, everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. is it? I don't know enough about it, but like, um, is there any penalty or anything for filing your, or like asking for an extension? I guess if you owe taxes, you pay interest or whatever on the. Yeah, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a penalty for filing for an extension. I feel like tax day was a much bigger deal when I was a kid, and maybe because people, a lot of people, file their taxes online now. But like, my post office in my hometown would have like a big tax day party oh. and stuff. And oh, a party! That's well, fun. like you know, there there was they'd have you know streamers and a band sometimes. I don't know. You know yeah. I grew up on the set of The Music Man. Uh, it sounds like <laughs> right now, but streamers. Oh boy! <laughs> but it was. A, but I, I feel like. I'm sure it's my bubble of anything, but I feel like tax day just isn't as big of a deal as it was uh, back in the day. Yeah, you know, uh, since I live with a financial (laughs) professional, tax day in our house is like the earliest possible day that you can file your taxes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think in my social bubble, people tend to do do it early because of getting your return back. Um, But I did forget it was tax day (laughs) earlier this week and go to the post office to, you know, finally mail those boxes of books to my mom that I've been driving around. Of course, it has absolutely no constraint. So there's zero reason for you to go on that particular day. Right. Right. But I was just like, you know, this is the day. Mm -hmm. Today is the day. I'm finally going to do it. These boxes have been in my car for like uh, at least a month. Um, <laughs> it takes me forever to get motivated to go to the post office. And I got there and I was like, it's like two o'clock on a Monday afternoon. 
this is going to be great. There's not going to be anybody there. I pulled in and the parking lot was full and I was like, whoa, what's going on? There were no streamers, Jeff. No, no band. There were no streamers. But there was a line out the door and I just hightailed no, it. No Jim Sherman and his tax day blowers out there on the uh, No, on the lawn. there were not 76 trombones no. or a big parade. It was, <laughs> I was like, oh, right. Mm, that's Taxes. funny. Um, I have been driving around with a bag full of dry cleaning in the back of my car for about six weeks. So oh, that's what's mm-hmm. sticking up I'm that. I'm familiar with mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. It's it's either like a box I'm supposed to ship someone or grocery bags full of books I'm getting ready to donate. And like putting them in the car just makes <laughs> me feel like I've accomplished something. So I just drive I do, I do that. I drive. I sometimes drive around go- goodwill donations for like six to eight weeks. <laughs> yes. There's a bit in uh, John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous uh, stand-up mm-hmm. special on Netflix where his wife asks him to like put these, you know, I think it's garbage bags full of donations into the car and take them to Goodwill. And he just puts them in the trunk and drives them around for months. And I was like, I have never felt more yeah. seen by a comedian. Because it's just there. In this moment. Yeah. Like the, the trunk right. of your car is basically the cargo short pocket of your life and stuff just lives in there. <laughs> Until until they either get put in the laundry and it's ruined, or you happen to be at the place you're going, um, or you get shamed into it by someone you may or may not live right. with about, and like, when are we going to have the dry cleaning done? It's like, oh, yeah, dry cleaning. I pass my Goodwill probably three times a week, so it's not like I haven't had opportunities. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> anyway. 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 Well, speaking of Bob. Bob is oh, getting yeah. se- sequential shout-outs on shows and sequential shout-outs within the <laughs> interstitial shout-outs within He'll the show. He'll be so delighted. Um, we, can, we can talk about there is justice for Bob out there in the world. Oh, for okay. those of you who, um, and justice for Bob now being a catch-all for all slights um, of, of, mm-hmm. of varying degrees of, again, it can only rise to the level of slight. It can't be bigger than a slight. It can only be a slight. But in this case, it's a slight about your gift cards expiring, ah. which... We talked about last time. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that we we believe we came to the half-assed um, internet conclusion that it should be the law is twelve months for gift cards. Yes, in Canada, ain't no expiring on your gift cards. You can you can drive those things around for, <laughs> forever if you want to your <laughs> oh. gift cards. So <laughs> if uh, you know by the good graces of, of socialism, gift cards can uh, be held on to indefinitely. Up until I guess the death of the company, <laughs> for which they are uh, uh, good. But a uh, listener follow up. That thank you for so much for writing in about that. I did not know that, um, but there you go. So if, if Bob f- feels right. the need to be redeemed, up north <laughs> is the place of his redemption. This will uh, maybe be the thing that I can finally use to convince yeah. Bob that we should. It's not the comprehensive uh, cradle to grave health care. It's that your um, uh, your gift, your Tim Hortons gift card doesn't run out. <laughs> <laughs> donuts, and don't you know? Donut lesser things have been done for donuts, I'm sure. Uh, all right, let's do our first sponsor and get into the actual non-vamping news of the week. The Great Courses Plus is back again. You've heard us talk about them before. They are a fantastic streaming service that gives you the opportunity to learn from bright, passionate experts about virtually anything. You can learn about writing fiction, the Roman Empire, zoology, how to paint, Mediterranean cooking, and much more. The Great Courses Plus gives you unlimited access to watch and listen to thousands of lectures anytime, anywhere. Really enjoying looking through great utopian and dystopian works of literature. It's a fascinating exploration to the evolution of this genre from H.G. Wells to Margaret Atwood to Suzanne Collins and the impact these works have had on the course of history. And this is the kind of stuff you want to know. I just saw a story the other day. 
about Ian McEwen talking about how, you know, literary fiction might be a good thing to talk about artificial intelligence and the, you know, AI. <laughs> and, 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 and everyone was oh, like, buddy. if you listen to our annotated episode, if you know it yourself, you know, this is something Mary Shelley was thinking about from the very beginning of science fiction. Um, and utopian and dystopian works. H.G. Wells, like, this is hundreds of years old thinking about the future and what technology and social change can mean um, to make the world better or make the world worse and what that might look like. Learn about that by signing up for The Great Courses Plus with an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free month and a second month for just 99 cents. That's unlimited learning for two full months for less than a dollar. Just sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. This special offer of one month and a second month at just 99 cents, only available for a limited time, only at, and here comes the URL, there's also a link in our show notes, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. And as you know, do not spell out slash. Use the slash on your keyboard. I love those kind of errors where it's like people like insert your name and people write your name. Those are the best. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this week's show. Speaking of um, copy editing, I'm reading Dreyer's English right now. It's so I'm, good. I'm reading print because I picked it up and yep. whatever. So and I, I, I wanted to use it. I also was thinking I might have it as a reference. I'm not really sure if it's a reference type book. I'm not, it's not clear to me at this point. I'm just two chapters into it. But um, It's the most delightful. One thing, you know, as, as the, the great um, book future we were all promised is coming to bear, I still, ref, if you're using something for reference, print, I can't beat print. Mm-mm. Audio is a disaster. Um, and ebooks aren't a lot better. So especially the books I read for annotated or making notes, I want to come back to this. I have to buy a print version. So that hasn't been figured out yet. I don't know. I'd like this is something I did actually for real had in my notes. If listeners out there know, if I'm reading a Kindle book and I highlight it, is there, is it easy? Like, have people done this for like serious research using Kindle highlights? What I would like to be able to do is I have an iPad with an Apple pencil, which I love for making notes, but I can't make notes on on any of my proprietary DRM ebooks that I buy. Mm. And even if I could, I wouldn't have a way to like get, you know, flip through them or see whatever. It feels like, it feels like it's right there. Like we've got these big claws to, to kill this mm-hmm. problem and that we're hamstrung by a bunch of different problems. You know, back in the day. Yeah. When Sony made e-readers, mm. my very first e-reader was a Sony and it had a little stylus yeah. and you could actually like handwrite notes onto the screen of it. You, you can do that with and, this if it's a PDF, but if you're reading a Kindle book or yeah. an Apple ebook or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't work the same way. Yeah. So it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, it and then wonderful. I can't remember, I think maybe it was the Kobo app mm. that will like, you can tap a page and it will show you all of the different things that you've highlighted. But yeah, there's, there's nothing to my knowledge that, does both where you can actually create marginalia on the thing and see all your notes at one time. I am the same way. Anything that I think I'm going to be referring back to, I need to have in print. I loved Dreyer's English. I've heard it's wonderful on audio. And I believe that because Benjamin Dreyer is a delightful human. And I think his delivery of it would be really fun to listen to, but for reference you, yeah, you want that in print. So anyway, if you have a solution or you know of a workaround Mm -hmm. or you know, Jeff, you're stuck. Um, podcast at bookwrite.com. Love to hear from you. Uh, oh, speaking I hope we of, get a bunch of emails with the subject line. Jeff, Jeff, you're just stuck. stuck. Speaking of um, writing to us, emails. The deadline for the mom, dad, grad, yourself recommendation show, recommendation request is April 24th. So this is going to come out on 
the 22nd uh, or the night of the 21st. Um, so you have a few days after you're hearing this to shoot us an email. We actually right now don't have too many requests, so there is a good chance if you get us one, we'll be able to respond to you, podcast at bookriot.com. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up recommending Dreyer's English to somebody, actually, <laughs> since we both uh, read it of late. Um, yes, that's, uh, I did find And it it's selling, weird. too, actually, interestingly. I was looking at Publishers it Weekly, is. and it was charting on the hardcover nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Not, not way high, yeah, it was but on it, the was, New York Times bestseller it was on, It was hanging around there in the, in the bottom, you know, 18, 19, selling you know, several thousand copies in hardcover. Uh, when I sat down with it, I thought like, oh, I'll just read a couple pages yeah. at a time because this is a reference book. But it was so much fun that I read it in just a couple really big chunks. Mm. Um, I am pleased to announce while we're just talking about things we're yeah. reading, I guess, that I have finished my project currently of reading all of the existing Obama staffer members. I saw your note in the, the Slack about this. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully there will be more to come, but I'm done and I'm – yeah. A little sad because they were enjoyable, and I would like to be, spend more time mm. in that world. All right, but I've completed it. Cool. Um, I guess the only one I read is uh, who on. thought this was a good idea. That's the only one of those I read so far. Oh, I'm listening to uh, her new Alyssa Mastromonaco's new book called "So Here's the yeah. Thing" right now, and it, it's really fun. what's that about? I saw that, and I was like, I don't it know. Is, I wasn't sure if I was interested. Am I interested in that? It is. Um, Less White Housey stuff mm. and more personal memoir applied also to like life lessons, self-help. Okay. It's kind of the same tone and feel as who thought this was a good mm. idea, but um, there's less about life in the White House and just more about her general life and career. Um, but she's great. My last one now is the the one I just finished is The World As It Is by mm. Ben Rhodes, which I think is the best overall one. So I'm mm. feeling good about Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good rec. I'm writing yeah. that down. All right, here's some other things to write down. The Pulitzer Prizes were announced since we last spoke to you all. Um, I guess we'll just go through them right now. I have read zero of them, um, though I have two of them. I bought them to have, uh, but I have not read them yet. So for fiction, The Overstory by Richard Powers, one of my dad's favorite authors, and he loved this book. Um, so, and then the finalists were The Great Believers um, by Rebecca Mackay and There, There by Tommy Orange. And Tommy Orange, that, There, There, I also have a copy of that, which I have not read. Mm-hmm. So it's really a, um, uh, a tour through Jeff's um, unread book purchases so far. <laughs> uh, in history, I've bought this and have not read it, um, which I believe we talked about in the National Book Award discussion. A couple of these came up. Yes. This was Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by mm-hmm. David W. Blight. Um, which is a biography of Frederick Douglass, and then a biography of Elaine Locke called The New Negro, The Life of Elaine Locke by Jeffrey C. Stewart, who was a kind of a, a don of the Harlem Renaissance. He was older than, say, Zora and, and Langston and, and um, the like, the, the young writers, the Wallace Thurmans and Nella Larsons of the world, but he was an elder statesman kind of in um, Du Bois's cadre, uh, that oversaw, not oversaw, but like it was a generation older and had a controversial sort of idea that the ta- of the talented tenth, which is the talented tenth of black people, would serve as inspirations and uplift the rest um, of black America, which was kind of ran counter to the younger writers and artists' view of like, well, this is not a top down situation, it's a bottom up one, but an interesting thinker, an interesting life, interesting guy, and apparently a wonderful biography, which I've also bought one for biography. Poetry, Be With by Forrest Gander, um, a collection of elegies that grapple with sudden loss. 
Huh, poetry about death. Who would have thunk it? Um, General Nonfiction, Amity and Prosperity, One Family in the Fracturing of America by Eliza Griswold, which is uh, the story of an Appalachian family struggling. I've heard this recommended as a counter is too strong, a twin, a uh, further reading for folks who were interested in Hillbilly Elegy. Um, is how I've heard this oh, one um, framed, which makes sense, I think, once you look at it. And I guess for mm-hmm. us, drama is a little further afield than what we normally cover here. Is drama, you know, books, who knows, who cares? But that's Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Drury, which is an unbelievably awesome name, which is a hard-hitting drama that examines race in a highly conceptual layered structure, ultimately bringing audience into the actor's community to face deep-seated prejudices. Um... So yeah, those are the winners. Uh, I can't even say much about the finalists in the other categories. Um, again, I'm in this position now, and you guys, we, both of us have been in this position for several years now. Of this, is, we don't really read in this zone, um, this this layer of the uh, jungle. We're in a different strata of the canopy um, for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing forest analogies since <laughs> Richard Powers' book is about <laughs> it is, I think that's probably what I was uh, I was a primed, which doesn't exist apparently. Yeah, but anyway. That was when I saw this come across, I was like, why did no one tell me this book is about trees? I would have read it sooner. I immediately ordered a copy. So I will be reading the overstory soon. I did read The Great Believers mm. by Rebecca Rebecca Mackay, and I really loved it. Um and they're there by Tommy Orange is in that class of difficult fiction that I just cannot make myself go into Mm. presently or maybe ever. Um, That's been, I used to be able to read like really emotionally difficult fiction and it's just not a place that I am liking spending time these last couple of years. So, you know, one thing about there, there, I picked it up in print at pals. And since I do so much of my book sort of perusal um, digitally, Mm. one thing I realized is I don't, have any sense for how long something is and there there oh, isn't yeah. long which i find myself delighted when a book is again short is not the, i don't need it to be short necessarily but you you don't know it could be 500 pages and mm-hmm. i'm just not committing to 500 page books that often anymore like i'm listening to what am I, oh my life in france by julia child and it's like a 12-hour audiobook i'm like ah but i did it and i'm glad i did but there i do i, I don't know if this is a consequence of getting older or what but like it's gonna. It's hard for me to commit to a 500-page, even just a novel. Forget about a biography. And then one of the reasons these biographies are sitting on my shelf is like, oh my god, um, that's gonna take some time. So well, like especially when you know it's going to be a tough yeah. read, finding out that it's short is a relief. I've had the same experience. My like the way that I'm purchasing books in print now typically is um, a good friend owns a bookstore and I will visit occasionally and in between visits, I'm like, Hey, just put this on my stack. Mm. And so, and I usually haven't seen the book in person until I get to the stack. And there's always a surprise. Like that's how I acquired the world as it is. And I was like, Oh, this is longer yeah. than I was yeah. expecting. And then some things are shorter and it's just, um, it's just strange when we do most of our browsing. And, and yes, don't email me. I realize you can see the page count. <laughs> I, I know that, but it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't, it's like, it's a different thing. Like it I would saying it's a 12 hour flight versus being on the plane for 12 hours. Right. Yeah. It doesn't enter the, no. like, I don't know, the mental model of the book in that way. It's the same thing as like, you know, I'm not thinking about how long an album is right. when I go to listen yep. to it. You have to have the experience. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to mm. say about these winners this year. It feels like 
you know, we're in the world of books and reading. And so we need to at least mention that this is a thing that has happened in the world of books and reading. Um, there don't seem to be any like big overarching themes this year. Sometimes you can see that it seems like all of the judges in all the categories have kind of been thinking yeah. about the same issues. Um, but I'm, I am always happy when a prize goes to a book that hasn't been just like getting crazy mm. buzz um both because it makes it rise to my level of attention like the overstory now is one i'm going to pick up that i probably wouldn't have gotten to otherwise but it's also just nice to sort of get out at least in the kind of work that yeah. we do to get out of the bubble of the the novels that everybody is reading and yeah. talking about so. i mean notable i guess that history and biography are i don't i don't understand how again i'm not i'm not objecting but how is the Fredericks douglas book history and the elaine Locke book biography can all biography also be Oh, do you see what I'm getting at? Like, I, well, right, like, because a biography is just a just history, history of, of a, a person's person. life. Um, is yeah, is history the a... umbrella category under which the other ones? But then, general history or general nonfiction well, is weird. The blurb here from the Pulitzer, I guess, committee or or whatever is a breathtaking history that demonstrates the scope of Frederick Douglass's influence. Blah blah blah. And so maybe it's that it's uh, like the size of context. Like it's a wider mm. lens, perhaps. You'll, Jeff, you're just going to have to read it yeah. and tell us. I don't know. Frederick Douglass. Report back next I'm week. I'm sorry. In, using the conventions of books, <laughs> Frederick Douglass, colon, that is a biography of Frederick Douglass, right? I mean, just in the common parlance. Like mm-hmm. you pick that up, you're like, oh, is this a Frederick Douglass uh, biography? No, it's a history. That, that's nonsensical <laughs> in some way. If I don't know if you're listening to this, yeah, if you, you know something, have some inside knowledge about how these categories are defined, or maybe uh, the permeable <laughs> membrane yeah. between them. It, and may, maybe the book itself com. is something. I mean, the inf, so the the what they call this the. Um, oh, there's a word for this. Uh, the the prose they give you as part of the award. A breathtaking history mm. that demonstrates the scope of Frederick Douglass's influence through deep research on his writings, his intellectual yeah. evolution, his relationship. Well, it's is it about his influence or it sounds like it's about his writing, his intellectual evolution, and his relationship. That is the stuff of biography. I'd be curious to know, um, you know, what what if if it's an arbitrary thing, I'm totally fine with that. If it's not, I'm also Do- extremely interested in that. Do the Pulitzer people just want to award two biographies every year and this is how they do it? <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah. Can you win? Now I have, now I do have questions. Can you win the biography category with a memoir or an autobiography? Or does it have to be a book about It's a great else? question. I mean, Amity and Prosperity, One Family and the Fracture of America, it's the story of an Appalachian family struggling. I mean, is that not history? I mean, it's already happened. Well, but obviously it's general nonfiction, Jeff. <laughs> I, it's, it's just interesting. <laughs> Aren't these distinctions obvious? No. To you? As someone who cares about no, these things, I know it is. Hmm, that is interesting. I mean, look, I, there's no, I, there's probably no court of rightness here. Um, <laughs> but I guess the, my first question is: Could the new Negro, the life of Elaine Locke, also have mm-hmm. won for history? Or probably what was. And if so, which is the more prestigious one to win? Like, if your biography wins the history award, is that just an excellent biography? I mean, that, that means you, you, you're so good at biography mm-hmm. that, you know, anyway. Or this one of the other finalists in biography is The Road Not Taken, Edward Lansdale and the American Tragedy in mm. Vietnam. Could that not be history? 
yeah, right. You know, let's just move down. I would just like to note that Aretha Franklin received mm. a special citation for her indeligible, indelible contribution to American music and culture for more than five decades. And that seems right. And I'm happy to see it. This is one of those situations like, does Aretha need a Pulitzer special citation? Uh, not even like, of course she deserves it, but like, I don't know. She doesn't need it, but it it's important to, you know, note the things that are notable. Okay. I think. Notable things are notable. That's okay. Notable things are okay, notable. Gotcha. They deserve to be noted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, give Aretha all the things. But like someone's like, "Oh, I should check out this Aretha Franklin from looking at this Pulitzer citation." <laughs> yeah, I don't think that, yeah, uh, that winning this Pulitzer citation uh, is doing yeah, much for Yeah, I think Aretha's she's she's good. I really want to watch that doc- <laughs> I really right. want to watch that documentary by the way. Have you seen have you seen their trailer for that? No. Apparently it's it's it was footage that was lost or someone had it of a live it's a live concert that she gave in a church. Um mm. it's called Amazing Grace, and I think it's largely already. just the concert. I don't think it's much more than that. Like it's a it's a concert picture, is my understanding. But uh, it looks pretty amazing. All right, let's get on to book news about things we kind of, I don't know, we can sink our teeth into a little bit more. Though we did a little bit more than you would have thought on the the troubling troubling the line between history and biography <laughs> and the Pulitzer prizes. Let's look at a report on audiobooks habits. This is a actually linked. Uh, the link in the show notes will be the piece that Kelly Jensen wrote for us, um, kind of going through a. Raccoon Overdrive report on uh, listening habits of its users. Um, Raccoon is, the shorthand is it's the Japanese Amazon, who actually also happens to own Kobo and owns Overdrive, which if you do anything, if you borrow books at all through your library, um, chances are you're using an Overdrive product. Libby, for example, is an Overdrive product. Overdrive itself was the pre-Libby platform that some libraries I think still use for reasons I don't understand, but I'm sure there are perfectly good reasons for it. Um, but I thought the audiobook stuff here was especially interesting because we have joked truthfully before about how mm-hmm. in the span of our lifetime, audiobooks has gone from a thing that old people listen to, to a thing that people listen to. And now this report suggests that it's a thing that young people listen to. So... Um, nice. uh, Overdrive polled its users, which of the following book formats have you used in the past 12 months? And these are people that selected audiobooks. Um, Generation Z, 47%. Millennials, 49%. Generation X, 31%. And Baby Boomers, 20%. So millennials are listening to audiobooks at a clip of almost two and a half times those of Boomers. And both Generation Z and Millennials are you know fifty percent up and more mm-hmm. over Generation X? Forty-eight um, percent um, of audiobook consumers fall into those categories. Another interesting thing I think that goes along with it is that forty-five percent of all listeners listen to relax or unwind, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going back up here a second. Uh, right. Um, 40% tune into a book while exercising or driving. Still others, about 45% use audiobooks as a means of passing time while waiting in lines in doctor's offices and similar activities. Here's one that I thought was a, a thought experiment. If you're relaxed, so 45% is relaxing or unwinding. Mm-hmm. 40% while exercising or driving. 45% use audiobooks as a means of passing time while waiting in lines. 
are there other categories that are missing? Like chores? Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was like, one of my life hacks I've given out on the show before is for like while watching sports or playing video games. Um, yeah. They don't mention that here. Oh, 45% listeners are followed by those who listen while working on mindless tasks, passing time, or when they can't find time for another format. Oh, and Kelly's piece says that over half of audiobook listeners tune in while completing tasks around the house, including cooking yeah. and chores. So that's in there. Right. I, my, my, my question was, are there missing any tasks that a, a non-zero um, percentage of people would do? And I'm sure they've got the big categories. I was trying to think, are there other places where I listen to an showering. audiobook? In the shower. Bob's in his tall ships. <laughs> he is. Yeah, I'm, I listen to the shower too. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. I'm not there. I'm not on that train yet, but have the I can see it coming. It, it, you know, it almost happened. Well, we have a good speaker up mm-hmm. there because that's how Bob's listening to his audiobooks about the tall ships. Um, it almost, Daisy Jones and the Six ah, almost, almost got, got you. Mm. Almost got me. Interesting. Uh, you want to say anything? What do you think about these, these the age breakdown? You know surprising, what? not surprising? Think, what do you got? I think it's interesting. I've been sort of noodling a little bit on what might be going on there. And my, my guess is millennials and generation Z people are just more comfortable with technology yeah, in general than older folks are. And audiobooks now are through technology and are done mostly digitally. Like very few people are picking up those folders of, um, you know, 9 million CDs to mm-hmm. listen to an audiobook from their library anymore. Um, so they're just, I think, more likely to try it. Like, it's just another app on your phone that is another tool that you can use. Um, but just sort of anecdotally, um, I was listening to students at the yoga studio where I teach talking over the weekend, and they were talking about reading the Yoga Sutras, which is like a, it's a, you know, foundational text, reads in some ways like the mix mm-hmm. of, like, I don't know, like like a combination of scripture and self-help, maybe. Um, and it's, the language can be a little bit heady if you're just reading it or there's usually commentary that accompanies it and one of them was like oh yeah i just found one on audible and listening Mm -hmm. to it helped me rather than reading it and the way that she just tossed it out not as like hey have you ever heard of audiobooks or there's this thing called audible but like they were both just sort of casually conversing about a thing and it was oh yeah i just looked for it on audible because that's an easier way to learn a thing and i was like oh yeah this these are this is a generation that does just do Mm. that of like i've just got this app on my phone and it's it does another thing that I need an app to do, and it happens to be the audiobooks. That was my guess. That was my guess, too, but riddle me this. Weren't, tech, weren't CDs a technology that were new? Like, wh- why, didn't, why didn't that correlate? Because I was, I was thinking the same thing. Well, this just correlates to, like, younger people use technology more. But it's not like uh, CD audiobooks were coming out on wax cylinders or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Um, I think there's something about the barrier to entry with digital oh, technology and like that once you're comfortable using your phone, you know, like what, there's not much difference using one app versus another mm. one. So like the CD thing, like you had to go and get CDs. You had to decide like, I don't just listen to music on CDs in my car. This is a way that I can listen to books too. But every, I sort of think of like, well, other than the time wasters, like each app on my phone is sort of of equal utility Mm. like they all have a mission and it's just which mission am i trying to complete which like which little icon do i need to press at the moment is sort of the way that i was thinking about that of if you're just used to your phone being a utility and the way you get all the stuff you need like the millennials and gen z people probably would also answer that like they watch movies on their phones you know or 
or TV, and that's not something that we're going to see older people doing. Um, so listening to audiobooks because it's like I think if we were still in the days of CDs, we would not see young people. No, I totally agree. But here, were, I mean, I yeah. can't figure it out though. Like, why was it a thing that we associated? And I assume it's true, and maybe I'm wrong. If you know different than me, podcast at bookwrite.com. That audiobooks, especially in the cassette and CD days, were an older person's game. Even if you got them at the library for free. Like, I had a car with a CD player. I liked books. I had no trouble hauling around folders full of 300 (laughs) of my CDs. It was not that different than hauling around, but I didn't do it. It's not. You know, I wonder if it is just the portability of the phones, too. Like, you you can take your phone everywhere, which means you can listen to an audiobook while you're doing, while you're standing in line at the post office on tax day, you know, like, which you couldn't really do. I mean, if you wanted to carry your disc man into the post office with you back in 1996, you could Mm -hmm. do that. But like, that was less convenient than just having your phone and listening to an audiobook. And I, I think the portability of the devices and the fact that we can listen to books on those devices, those two things can't be. No, I don't think they can be at all. Other. I think that's, a, but I think that's a tide that lifts all boats. Like that's true just for audiobook use in general. Like the, the thing that I got thing is like, why was it? And why, why was it an old person's medium before? Was it, was it vision was it about accessibility because you know, mm. it, I, I'm sure it's something I'm not thinking of because I'm not thinking of a great reason. Is it a confluence of events? You have time, like, you, you have time to listen to an audiobook. Was it maybe a recursive situation where we thought older people wanted it? So the kinds of books that were available on CD were That's, older. Like yeah. you can get all your Louis L'Amours, but I wasn't getting right. Lady Smith White Teen in 1999. Yeah. That's what I was going to guess. Maybe it had something to do with which titles yeah. were produced in audio because making those CDs right. was expensive and publishers did not do it for nearly as many titles as they're doing it for now because it's less expensive to produce and less expensive to distribute. I think that, I think you might be onto something the most there, which is just the the books that would sell in mass quantities got an audiobook version and those skew older because most book buyers are older on the whole. So it yeah. could be a couple of those things sort of uh, in the same stew. But it's interesting that the flattening out of accessibility um, ubiquity of accessibility mm-hmm. for audiobooks has changed materially at what point in your life you're listening to audiobooks. Um, so yeah. there we go. I'm not sure there's much else to say about that one. Um, I don't think I would have guessed the disparity would have been quite this large. I wouldn't have guessed that millennials are two and a half timing baby boomers when it comes to audiobook yeah. listening. All I have is anecdata for that, which is that like my dad was a drive around in the car with CDs audiobook person and he uses his smartphone for Mm -hmm. Spotify and Google Maps and all that good stuff, but like has won't do the audible thing. Just like it, there's just something there. I don't know. Maybe he's the only one. Maybe but he's the only one. I, I, I see it in my personal sphere. That gap. Well, speaking of technology and accessibility, let me tell you about Kindle Unlimited. You may have heard this little company. Um, gotten into books um, a little bit. Kindle puts over 5,000 audiobooks and 1 million ebooks at your fingertips so you can easily switch between reading and listening to a variety of titles that interest you. 1984, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is one of the wonderful e-books of all, uh, audiobooks of all time, or Mary Poppins. You don't need a Kindle device to enjoy Kindle Unlimited. Unlimited. Read on your phone, tablet, PC, or e-reader with the Kindle app however and whenever you want. You can stay up to date with the ability to choose from a rotating selection of current issues from popular magazines. Books can be added from time to time, 
but with a variety of genres and titles, you're sure to find your next favorite read or re-experience an old one. I gotta say, the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that you the the reading experience is great, but the audiobook experience is just fantastic. We listened to it on our recent. I think I talked about it on the show before. We listened to the Jim Dale on our recent um, family road trip. Couldn't get enough. We did the first and second Harry Potter books, and my kids are itching to do a road trip just for the excuse to listen to Prisoner of Azkaban when we get around to it as well. Also, if you haven't ever tried the Mary Poppins, the P.L. Travers, it is not the movie. Like it's definitely the same character, but it's got a sharp, it's got a little more uh, vinegar in it than you're expecting oh. from. Um, uh, watching Mary Poppins or Mary Poppins Return, which I both are beloved movies to me and my family. But the Peel Travers is, it's a little, um, she's got a little more elbow on her, the Mary Poppins uh, of the, the book. So I recommend that too. If you've been interested, it's a character you like, really liked as well. It is nice on the Kindle that you can't, with the Kindle Unlimited app and the Kindle apps themselves, I've got my phone, I've got my app, iPad, I've got my computer. I can just bot between them, not stuck to one device. It's everywhere you want to go. And for a limited time, you can get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting amazon.com slash Kindle Book Riot. That's amazon.com slash Kindle Book Riot to get two months of Kindle Unlimited for only 99 cents. Kindle, read more, spend less. Just looking at this too, you could dovetail this with um, the Great Courses Plus because the Hunger Games is available from Kindle Unlimited. Go pick that out too. Do one another. Uh, let's see. Anything else you want to say that? I just listened to, I'm, I have a, um, a uh, project this year. I'm trying to listen to a bunch of other podcasts to get ideas, and I like them. But I listened to a Ringer podcast episode. They do a show called The Rewatchables where they go talk about a movie that, you know, is a, is a beloved rewatchable movie. And they did The Princess mm-hmm. Bride. They talked about that movie. And one thing they said was how well the movie version captured the book of The Princess Bride, which I'm just looking here, is also available on Kindle Unlimited. But also there's a few different things. So if you're a a Princess Bride cultist and haven't gone back to read William Goldman's original novel, The Princess Bride, this is a great great use case for Kindle. Go check out the things you never really saw. Um, You know, maybe you were interested in, but you you weren't going to pick it up, but it's right there. It's for free. All your devices. Go check it out. This is one, I think we talked, so we're going back to the news here. I think we talked about something like this a billion years ago. PRH has created a reader loyalty program, which is fascinating from like nine different angles. Um, I put this link in the the notes for today. Rebecca hasn't heard too much about it. What it is, if you buy PRH books across print, electronic, and, uh, and audio formats, you'll be able to collect points made for purchases at both online and physical stores. And then once you get a certain number of points, you can turn them in and get free books. That's, that's the idea. Now, you might be asking a couple of things. How does it work? What do I get? Whatever. I'm just gonna, before we get into it, I'm just going to give the top level. So um, every book that you redeem gets you 10 points. And once you get 120 points you can go redeem for up to $30 worth of free books through PRH.com. So you got to go back and buy through PRH.com. The company then ships you the books free of charge. Very interesting. So how you do it? You buy the book, 
And then you go in, so you have to create a profile from PRH, and then you go in, you log in the ISBN and proof of purchase, which I'm not exactly clear what that means right now. Um, but you've got to go log them in. So that's, that's sticky to, to, to do. Um, and then you'll go be able to pick from eligible books that are free. So I've got a couple of questions that right off the bat. Are all books that you buy anywhere, it can't be used books, right? It can't be. It doesn't say anything about used books here, but it can't be used it books. It says, that, yeah, there's a little, I just clicked through yeah. to the website for it, and it says there's a little asterisk that says, like, some exclusions apply. Yeah. And I would imagine that used books are probably, well, but how would they know if it's, I guess, because you have to uh, Your proof your of purchase, purchase, I guess, would have to be the receipt um, of some kind. Right. It probably is. And I've seen publishers do sweepstakes where it's like, uh, you know, pre-order this book and get this freebie thing yeah. related to it. And the way that you prove that you pre-ordered it is you upload your receipt. So that's probably... And, and that's basically it. The other thing you get is bec- you, since you're entering in your purchases, what they can do is they look at your purchase, they're going to spit out recommendations that are, that are a combination yes. of human and AI recommendations. Which means they're AI. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, I mean, what do we mean by A? Do they mean like, if, if it's just simple, if this, then that logic? That's computer well, programming. It says, yeah, it says book recommendations based on PRH's editorial expertise combined with its proprietary AI platform, which um, I have a little experience running a program that yes. provides people with personalized <laughs> book recommendations that you'll hear about later on in this show that are actually personalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that sentence as we had, Peng- like my assumption based on that is that Penguin Random House had their editors create a list of a bunch of different great books that they love and want to recommend to people. And then identified people who read the following kinds of things should get this book, yeah. people who read the following kinds of other things. So I think there's probably a bank of books you can be recommended and the AI determines which of those you get shown. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's just an algorithm though. Like AI yep. is just, that's something completely different. I'd be fascinated if it's actually AI. And again, I'm not the world's greatest living expert on AI. Um, but I know that it's not that. that, that most people wouldn't mm-hmm. say that's AI. That's you know a database with some logic built in. I have extreme Yes, I do too. Extreme side <laughs> um, so, and they say, you know, people, people the, this is Penguin Random House Consumer Insights Research shows that today's consumer expects to be rewarded by the brands they purchase from frequently. And this program delivers an initial step towards building deeper, more meaningful relationships with readers. So the question that so. we ask for all these kinds of things, is this solving a reader problem? No. Tell me why. Uh, well, okay, a couple things going on here. I think Penguin Random House is right yes. that readers expect to be rewarded by the brands they purchase from frequently. I think they are wrong if they think that when readers think about the brands from which they purchase books, they're thinking there about the publisher. Go. Totally agree. If you asked a thousand readers what are the brands that from which you purchase books most of them are going to say you know amazon or barnes and noble or kobo or my local independent bookstore yep. or whatever those are the brands they're not going to say well sometimes i go to the harper collins website and sometimes i shop from penguin random house i'm happy to see that you don't have to buy your books through the penguin random house mm-hmm. website in order to qualify for this, I think they got that right. Um, but like, how are readers going to find out about this program? It's a great the question. Biggest, the biggest question that I have. And also this 12 that you've got to buy 12 books to earn one free book 
is interesting because in the Pew Center studies that we see like every year about Americans' mm-hmm. reading habits, reading 10 or 12 books a year is considered to be like, that's the threshold for being a heavy yeah. reader. And a very small slice of the American public reads 10 or 12 books a year. So like this is you've gated, you know, the entry here, mm-hmm. like who's going to be motivated to um, keep track of their books here. Also, most of the Penguin Random House books come out with different imprints on the spines. They don't all say That's Penguin what I was going to say. House. We do this for a living and so, I still am like, wait, is that a random house? I can't remember. Like, right, I don't know. Right. So if I'm like, I'm, I've got The Best Cook in the World by Rick mm. Bragg sitting here on my desk. The It has the vintage imprint and insignia on the spine. If I'm like a regular reader, no I have no idea that this book, like, I guess I can flip to the copyright page. Let's find out. We're going to do, this is Theater of well, the Mining. Well, I guess, so um, while you're, well, Theater of the Mining, I guess they could put <laughs> stickers and stuff. Like, could they do those things? They could have, they could print in mm-hmm. there, you know, redeem this for rewards at prh.com. Like, they could put that stuff That's in there. That's true. Yeah. And it does say in the copyright page that this is an imprint or a division of Penguin Random House. Yeah. But I just think the average reader, an average being like someone who reads like three books a year, because mm-hmm. that's the world that we live in is not going to be aware of this program. Like they don't, they're not, not all the books they read are going to be from Penguin Random House anyway. So even if you read 12 books a year, if, if half of them, given that PRH publishes half of the books, like from, from the big five, if you read six, you're still reading and tracking stuff for a couple of years to earn one $30. Yeah. I think if you're the kind of person that knows where, your books are coming from and you're the kind of person that keeps a spreadsheet of what, or like a good read. Like if you're, you're involved in like doing some post-processing on your purchases or pre-processing, mm-hmm. this would be great. You're buying them from wherever and you get a little something for it. That would be great. I think there's just a huge barrier to entry, as you say, to like people knowing how to use this. Like if this were part of a major rebranding in which say all PRH imprints went away and everything mm-hmm. they published was Penguin Random House and they was on the spine. It was everywhere. And they're basically trying to make Penguin Random House a consumer brand. This would make a ton of sense as part of that initiative to me. Yes. But it's just like Doubleday and Putnam and like, you've got to know which one is which and then go log them. Like, I just don't see it working in any meaningful way. Like, if PRH were doing this thing that we've been yearning for for years where they say, you know what, we're actually tired of Amazon, we're going to go sell our books ourselves. Like, that's a great way to get people to come check out like where they can buy your books online, Mm. create some sort of reward system. I think this is like an awfully large amount of development work to do for a relatively small chunk of Yeah, it does seem that way. And like, what does PRH get out of it? Because do they really think people are going to buy more PRH titles? Because like I think of, I guess, the most habit-forming rewards program I have is my coffee punch card, right? You mm-hmm. know, ten coffee, do 10 coffees, and I, or actually probably coffee beans at my local stump town. Get 10 punches, I get a free bag of beans. So one thing is it keeps me coming back there because I want to get the punches. But also I feel good about it. Like I have brand loyalty because like, yeah, they give me a free... Really, it's just built into their margin, right? It's not free. I understand, right. but my, my, my head understands it's it, but my heart you. doesn't, right? So it works on me, <laughs> yeah. okay? That feels feels free. free. But with so, But none of that works here because I've got, well, I'm not going to go out, I don't think, I should say. I don't think people are going to choose X book over Y book because one is PRH because A, they won't even know it, that's PRH, right. and B, we don't pick books that way. Like the marginal value picking one over the other, it's not like bags of coffee where the, the replacement value is essentially equal. You're looking at two 
probably pretty different reading experiences. And I think what we found over time is that difference in reading experience trumps whatever you know, else you, th- mm-hmm. that might go into it. So I, don't, I, I can't think they believe they're going to get more dollars, um, that they're going to steal sales from Macmillan because people are picking PRH mm-hmm. to get more um, free coffee stamps. So my guess is what they want is the associated reading profiles that you log yes. your books in and they can get a profile. The person that people that like this book also like this book, which has all kinds of interesting use cases for them. And also, it doesn't even mean you liked it. It just means you bought it. Just means you bought it. That, that's fair, and but it's better than zero information. It's better I would than say. zero, but also like that. Well, maybe Amazon isn't sharing it, but Amazon definitely has this information. Oh, Amazon a thousand percent isn't sharing it. I, I bet you Barnes and Noble <laughs> isn't sharing it. And frankly, if I buy six books at Target, Target's not sharing it. Right, or Costco, or yeah. wherever. Like, I think the very last sentence in this Publishers Weekly piece that we'll have in the show notes um, says, we're thrilled to combine rewards and recommendations as we continually strive to improve the book discovery experience for our readers and help them find their next great read. It, like, that's pretty telling. Like, when publishers are talking about improving the book discovery experience, they're talking about yeah. how can they get you to discover they, the books that they want to sell you. And I think these personalized recommendations, like however it works, the combination between personalized and AI, like if they're only Penguin Random House books, which I would bet dollars to donuts that they are, you've already knocked off a layer of reader service Mm -hmm. because you've knocked out half of the books, like basically from contention. Well, and and then things that are in print, you know I mean? You get a whole, even pure tales that are in print, I guess are not recommending. Um, This is like, I think that if you're sitting in a publisher meeting, at, like if you're working for a publisher and you're trying to figure out what is it that we can do to get more deeply engaged with our customers and get more information from them and use that information to sell them books, I understand how you arrive at this program. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a it's not a bad solution. It's not a bad attempt to solve the publisher problem, um, but it's not it doesn't solve a reader problem. I don't think. Um, I don't think either. Again, I think it's a thing that you're going to, some people who are power readers, Mm -hmm. and and power, I'm not meaning in terms of even volume, but in terms of uh, technological sophistication and like, you know, they keep track of stuff. Some of those people might get some free books out of it. Um, And if you're committed to it and you like rewards programs, 30 bucks for books you're buying anyway or maybe buying anyway. Sure. Might be worth setting up a profile. Sure, no problem. But if I'm PRH, I'm like, am I expecting this to move the needle? Because like, I see the problem. The problem is built into this program is across print, electronic, and audio formats, across online and physical stores. You, the problem is there in the sentence. Mm-hmm. All those places are places they're selling books, and they don't get any information from hardly any of them. And the way that they'd have to get a rewards program working where no matter where you buy the book, you can then get reward from makes it super clunky to get points. So I think they're, I think they're from a corporate point of view, they're rolling the ball uphill in a lot of ways. I don't think it's a bad program. It's not predatory or anything like that. You can, right. you know, there are things people sign up for where like, and we're getting like Facebook, right? Another Facebook leak today of like, we accidentally harvested 1.5 million addresses from people without their consent. Like none, none of that stuff is going on here. I just think it's going to be hard to get a meaningful number of people yeah. to, to jump through the hoops. To care enough, yeah. To care enough to do this. And then you've got a whole, like you said, that you have a whole branding problem. Like, how are you going to get people to know? And maybe there's branding on the books. Um, I talk trash on QR codes mm. a lot. This would be actually a great use case. You have an app, the PRH app on your phone. You buy the book. 
you take a picture of the QR code, there are one, you know, one credit per purchase kind of a thing, and it goes right into your account. That yeah. would work. Wait. From what I'm seeing so far right now is you've got to go log something Yeah, there's in. not an app. Um, no. And you do, yeah, you have to sit down at your computer or I guess pull the URL up on your phone. You have to go log. you got to pull the receipt out of your audiobook CD mm-hmm, folder right. and go, you know, enter <laughs> Take in. Take a picture of it, upload it. Um, yeah, from what I see, there's just a lot of friction on the user yeah, side. I'm, I'm trying to think about like how, what the value proposition would have to be to make me as a reader care about this. Like, yeah. You know, I read about a hundred books a year because of the work that we do. I don't have to buy most of my books, but like no. before I worked in books, that's still the number of books I read in a year and I bought most of them. So if I bought a hundred books a year and I assumed that half of them were from Penguin Random House, uh-huh. I could earn like four free books, I guess, by entering yeah. 50 purchases in yeah. 120 bucks, but I don't think I, I don't think the time and effort and attention it would take to remember, yeah. like to figure out that PRH had published the book, remember to keep the receipt, log in and upload the thing would be worth saving $120 to me in the year. Yeah, I think that, I think that's, that's the, the marketing problem. I think on the user, it's like, if you don't want to sign up, if you don't sign up, I'm more thinking of like the people right. that actually do yeah. care and would do it. I think it's a pretty good deal for them. Like I can imagine, and like you said, like in a different version of my reading habits, if I just log on and get some stuff every, you know, couple, every, every few times a year, I get 30 bucks to spend. Mm-hmm. That might be fun to kind of like, kind of like coupon clipping. It might be fun to do. Um, it would be awesome if there's like some sort of Goodreads integration or something. Like proof of purchase is a real hard sticking point. I, I don't really... I don't really know that. Like, all this is all prop. This is all because they don't have any. They don't have any information about selling you books. That's all it is because if it was just a reward program. Oh, you know what? I don't it's know. not even all PRH titles. Now I'm in the reward. I didn't go through. I assumed to be most now of them. It's just some. Now of them. I'm in the program terms page and it says eligible yeah. is defined as any book on your personalized dashboard on the site any book that includes the earn points on this purchase flag on the book detail page on the site oh, God. and this only appears if you're logged into your account if a title is excluded from the program there will be a note on the book detail page on the site that reads this format is not eligible to earn points so you'd have to be in order to like determine if your purchases were going to count, you would have to know what book you were going to buy in advance. You would have to log in Go research to it. your PRH rewards account and through that account search for the book and make sure it had the flag saying that it was eligible to earn points. They may just want the browsing data. Maybe. Um, also, you can earn a maximum of 720 points per calendar year. All right, so that's seventy-two. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah. all right, that's that most most people right. that are very in this few are readers hit that. are going to hit that. Yeah, I'm going to sign up and 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 knock it around. If anyone out there wants to sign up and take a take it for a little test drive, just from the um, you know the UI mm-hmm. UX, um, I'd, we'd we'd love some feedback. And if there's things about this that we're missing, like g- good or bad, um, shoot us a pod, uh, shoot us a podcast at email. <laughs> uh, shoot us an email at podcast. At bookriot.com. I have never seen anything on this scale from a major publisher. Yeah. I've never, in terms of rewards, it just feels like a, it feels like a, a, a nail for the wrong mm-hmm. hammer. Um, it's, it, it, I'm frustrated because I just want publishers to give up the ghost on trying to brand 
themselves as publishers to readers or actually do it or, or actually right, do or it. find a good way to do it. But like yeah. you're that's it. That is a talk about rolling a ball uphill. Like, yeah, to, if you're trying to sell books to the average person who like buys three or let's call it three or five books in a year, trying to get them to care about who publishes the book and then each publisher sufficiently and successfully branding themselves in a way that average readers care about just like, is bonkers. Like imagine a bookstore, imagine walking into Barnes and Noble and it's organized by like the Penguin Random House section and the Harper Collins section and the Simon and Schuster section. Like you would have to know what each one kind of stood for and how to, why to go there and which of the books you were looking for were in different places. And I just, readers just don't care. Like it's, it's fine. I've I've thought about this before. Like if you and I were in charge of PRH tomorrow and we walked in and said, here's what we want to do. All titles are now PRH titles. There's no Double Days. There's no Putnam. There's no Vintage. Why wouldn't you do that? Like wh- everyone has the same job. You all have, you all have the same job. Mm-hmm. But just every book that comes out is going to have a logo. Uh, is it a penguin now? Is a penguin wearing a hat of a house? I don't even remember what the logo is now. But everything's going to say, and, we're, and branding's going to be bigger on the books because we want people to have brand association with what they're buying. Which I understand, I sure. think makes sense. Why would why would Penguin Random House not do like I'm not it's not rhetorical. Like there must be some reason they didn't do that, because it makes all the business sense in the world. Like Diet Coke is called Diet Coke. It's not called like Shambhala or something. An like imprint that. It doesn't of have Coke. Coke. Isn't that an imprint of Coke? It's not that. I don't understand. Is it just legacy? It could be. It could be that there's contracts. It could be there's a whole bunch of different reasons. But I would love to know what the real barriers are to saying these are all PRH books and they're all and you you everyone knows and you can look at it and it means something and you can do a rewards program because like this is all PRH books and you can have big branding campaigns around PRH um, that doesn't even necessarily about one title. Could you wrest some of the brand war away from Amazon, away from Apple, away from Audible, and frankly away from authors mm-hmm. who are much more famous in a lot of t- cases than the imprints they're they're writing yeah. on. Um could you get some of that juice for yourself? I'd love to know it, what would what would be the yeah, problem. I would it. love to know the answer to that too. And it seems like if a publisher had managed to think of this and execute it, like now we're going to A-B test the universe. And if a publisher yeah. had managed to think of this and execute it before like Barnes & Noble had its own rewards program, you could see a case where like PRH – could do a bunch of paid in-store placement and like paid like yeah. paid partnership with Barnes & Noble where if you're purchasing a PRH book the Barnes & Noble bookseller who's ringing you up is like oh and this is eligible for the PRH mm-hmm. reward so be sure you upload your receipt and go do that like at the most now PRH is going to be lucky if indie bookstores know about this program first of all and care <laughs> right. enough about it to point readers in the direction of like hey you can upload your receipt and get points for a thing um but then why would they be motivated to because they don't get to keep that information and the redemption and like additional follow-up purchases yeah. have to be done at penguin random house so <laughs> can you think of another rewards program that's not the retailer oh that's interesting no the only one I could think of weirdly is like um, you can collect like Kellogg's box tops for your school. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is kind of ingenious, mm-hmm. right? Like you cut, you literally cut off the top of the cereal <laughs> box and send yeah, it in. You know, the other, like, now I'm thinking about what other purchases do I make that are eligible for rewards programs? Like yeah. Sephora has a rewards 
a points based rewards program mm-hmm. for you know like or I guess your credit card yeah, you know you get miles right. or whatever Beauty on your and credit skincare card things but and like oh. I know the brand names of the skincare things that I purchase but I buy them all from Sephora I don't buy them from and that's the retailer yeah. right Sephora is the retailer sorry, yeah yeah sorry this. yes mm-hmm. Sephora is the retailer um and and that way like regardless of which moisturizer I'm buying I'm earning points for my Sephora purchase mm. I don't buy like my moisturizer directly from that brand's website and my eye cream from the other brand's website but I think even if I did I don't think they have individualized rewards programs they're just letting you go yeah. through the retailers that you want to go through it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of work I would love like yeah. my biz dev hat is on now going how much money did they spend developing this <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure quite a bit i mean prh is a multi-billion dollar national conglomerate so they got money to burn on it it's interesting because i can see the meeting happening where it's like okay rewards programs are thing what if but it's like the raw it's just the raw it's like we want to build a log cabin but all we have is this mulch like how much spackle does it take right. to turn mulch into a log this is, it feels like a lot of spackle mm-hmm. um this to like, like trying to co- connect a bunch of different things um, in a workflow that doesn't really, doesn't, I, the, the Kellogg's box tops the only one. Again, examples podcast at bookwrite dot com. Please write us if you've got um, an example of a, I, I guess a consumer brand that's not the retailer. If you have a good rewards program that you know of. Um, love to hear. That's a wonderful segue into our last sponsor, is. which is us. Our last sponsor is <laughs> us this week. It is TBR, which is Book Riot's subscription service that offers tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. I pitch it as a stitch fix for books, and I have been dreaming about it for a long time, so I'm really glad that it's here. It's been here for a few months mm. now. You tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then you sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. There is nary a pool of selected books or algorithms mm. involved. It's all customized. TBR offers plans that let you receive either hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email. So there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That is mytbr.co. Sign up only takes a couple of minutes. You answer a few questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. You can link up your Goodreads profile if you have one and you're done. TBR subscribers get matched to a bibliologist based on their request. So if you love thrillers and you want to read more romance, we'll pair you with somebody who has those skills. If you're looking for poetry by writers of color and maybe also some space opera, we have got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles if you're in the recommendations only level or three new hardcovers. You'll get a new shipment every three months. You can give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests so that they stay in line with what your reading goals and expanding horizons are. Basically, get your own personal book concierge. The recommendations only level starts at $15 per quarter and hardcovers are $75 a quarter plus shipping. Annual subscribers get free shipping. And the recommendations only level is available worldwide. Hardcovers are available in the US only. So if that sounds good, you want to try it out and you should because it's awesome. You can go to mytbr.co to sign up. That's mytbr.co. Um, there's some more interesting stories that I think I want to save for next week because I want to get to this very strange one about the moon. The moon. The moon. So I did not know we had a story about the moon this a week. A story about, this is, tell me a story about the moon. Isn't that a Paul Simon, that sing a song about the moon is a Paul Simon song. Anyway, this story is about, there's this thing called the Arch Foundation and they have a lunar library project. Okay. 
And it's basically, you know, that seed vault yes. thing mm-hmm. where there's like a bunch of seeds in mm-hmm. Norway. Just you know, when Svalbard. we burn ourselves yes. up, at least we can make we can build um, we we can make oh, corn. We can. I know about the seed can, vault, uh, Jeff. Well, this is this except for human knowledge. And what they did is they put together a collection of discs uh, totaling about a hundred gigabytes, which is thirty million pages of text and pictures, and they're embedded in twenty-five nickel discs, and they're very small. I don't know why this, and they're etchings. And they should survive billions of years. And this pr- this foundation shot them to the moon so that if we nuke ourselves to <laughs> smithereens or whatever, there will at least be a library on the moon that we can go collect or some aliens can find. <laughs> okay? So they did this. They made it. This is not a thing. This is not like a, the idea. They did this. Love they this. shot it at the moon. Mm-hmm. But we, had a tr- we have a bad landing. Oh, no. it, it hit the, it, the, the, the lander hit at 300 miles per hour, so way faster than they meant to after a malfunction. And the disc survived. They're meant to survive an impact. The problem is they now don't know where it is because it skidded away. You got to call Mark Watney. So it's probably a few kilometers away. And it's like, it's like, and so it's somewhere on the moon and it's about the size of a Frisbee (laughs) and it's somewhere on the moon. And so there's an open Google doc with all the technical specs along of the library alongside all details of the crash. And they're asking engineers, anyone interested, to help find where the miniature moon library ran off to. <laughs> How about that? It does not bode well for the future of human civilization that we botched the attempt to save all human knowledge. <laughs> well, we made the attempt, I guess, as starters. Uh-huh. It's there. I just know where it and is. And the solution is in a Google Doc. The solution is a Google Doc. I mean, that's probably pretty correct for most of modern life. The solution (laughs) to most of my life actually is in a Google Doc. A shocking amount of the modern economy (laughs) is built on half-baked Google Sheets. This is amazing and weird. (laughs) I I wish I would have heard about this before, like... It's too bad that we're now talking about it only when it crash landed because we would have caught we would covered this story. Did Margaret Atwood just... write a story that will only be discovered when we go to the moon and find? We can't bugs. even find this one. This isn't even in a hundred year old forest. This is like under some dust on the moon, and we can't even get there. <laughs> and we're not. And probably by the time we find it, we're not even gonna have our nickel disc player anymore. We'll have moved on. You know, it'll be obsolete. Data rot. Oh man. So that's the Moon Library. Uh, the link in the show notes if you find find out more about this. I actually do want to find out more about. That. I've always you remember that what was that thing that they put on what the Voyager that those golden discs oh, that had a bunch of like right. music and art and stuff and they shot it into the space. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated about projects like is, what a, what a fascinating curatorial challenge. Like okay, you've got you've got these nickel discs or you've got these gold they're like gold laser discs I think because that was the hot technology at the time for Voyagers like. This is how much data you have. Represent human and Earth life and go. It's wild. Wow. So anyway, I like this kind Me of stuff. Me too. That's our show. Find out about the Moon Library, uh, Overdrive, and millennials listening to books. Find out about rewards programs, NPRH. Uh, find out about all this stuff. TBR sponsors Great Courses Plus, Kindle Unlimited, and Insiders at bookwrite.com slash listen. Also, most important, to get us your recommendation request by April 24th at podcastofbookride.com. Remember, it can be for someone you want to buy a book for, get a book for, borrow a book for, or it could be yourself, or I don't know. I don't know what other, I don't know what other parameters of recommendation requests there might be, but we will take and consider them all. 
Thanks you guys so much for listening. Rebecca, we'll talk to you Have later. Have a good one.